Good morning, sisters and brothers. Today the heading is called The Abomination of Desolation. We're in Mark 13, starting in verse 14. But when you see the abomination of desolation standing where he ought not to be, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down nor enter his house to take anything out. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that it may not happen in winter. For in those days there will be such tribulation as has not been from the beginning of the creation that God created until now and never will be. And if the Lord had not cut short the days, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect whom he chose, he shortened the days. And then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or look, there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead us astray, if possible. But be on guard, I have told you all things beforehand. This is God's word, all praise, glory, and honor be to God. Well, we certainly have some easy passages to deal with today. Shouldn't take too long. Might be less than that last week. Yeah, some of the most difficult passages in the scripture were deep into the Olivet Discourse by Jesus. Sitting on the Mount of Olives, his teaching to the disciples. We dealt last week with 9 through 13 which was passages that not only spoke about the here and now, but the then and later that would occur. Also, challenging scriptures that we heard last week in verse 12, it said that when these times come, that because of me, brother will betray brother to death, and a father, his child, and children will rise up against parents and have them put to death. Christ divides. And we could leave it right there. There is no middle option with Jesus. It is either you are found in Jesus or found outside of Jesus. You are either found in heaven with Jesus or in hell without Him. Families and friends will turn on believers. We've seen it throughout history. One need only take a casual look to see where it has happened and how it has happened. You will be hated because of Jesus' name. He tells us that clearly in verse 13. But he also says that the believer endures. Not because of the believer's ability, but because of Christ's completeness as a Savior. He is not as I ended last week, is not a partial Savior, but a complete Savior. Jesus doesn't almost save, He completely saves. So all those He saves will endure to the end. So we, not, we have to keep that in mind as we continue on in this Scripture here. I will warn you that we will be in the book of Daniel a fair amount. I would also give caution, because this is end times speaking, eschatological in nature, that some people grab onto that and they never let go of it. Some people grab onto end times teaching and miss the Savior. 
Some people grab onto end times teaching and they don't give the gospel away. All they want to do is talk about the end times and when it may or may not occur. And they miss the point of what Jesus is saying here and why he is saying it. So we want to proceed with caution, but we also want to proceed knowing that this is God's infallible and errant word. And it is given to us for a certain reason. It was spoken by Peter. Mark wrote it down and gave it to the church in Rome. We always want to keep that in mind, that it is that important. I believe I mentioned last week that we have this feeling in the book of Mark that it is a triage gospel. A gospel that is given of imminent importance to the people who are receiving it. That they need to get the bare essentials. They need to know exactly who Jesus is and they need to know it quickly and they need to know it now. Remember, it's a church under persecution. A hostile, a a church in a hostile environment. Not as hostile as it will get, but hostile nonetheless. Christians killed for sport in the Roman Empire. So we keep that in mind as we move forward here. We are going to be in verse 14 for a significant period of time today before we move on. Uh, It is one of the more difficult passages in the Scripture to deal with. It is... But, on top of that, it is awesome. I can say that I sweated over this passage this week a great deal. At one point in time, I had probably between 13 and 20 commentaries opened on just this passage. Just to, just to make certain that we are doing the best we can to understand not only what is being said, but why it is being said. Why it was important for Jesus to say this. What he is getting at. We don't take scripture lightly, and we certainly don't take scripture lightly here. We don't take it flippantly. We don't take it out of context. We want to preach the truth of what is being revealed in the Word. Quite frankly, the Word is what we have to stand on. This is the thing that tells us what is true. I could have gone on for another half hour last week talking about the mistruths that are given in the world today. I will take a little aside now just so we know where it's at. We still want to continue to pray for James Coates, the pastor that is in Canada who is still in jail, that they have now brought charges against his church for having more than 15% capacity there. This is the same government that has left out child molesters in the same time and warned the community that they've done so. We preach the truth of the Scripture. And we will be hated because of it. In this day and age, preaching the truth is truly a revolutionary thing. There is not my truth and your truth. There is the truth. And Jesus is the truth. Verse 14 And Jeff, thank you for reading the right passages. We certainly appreciate it when you do that. (laughs) But when you see the abomination of desolation standing where it should not be, that's Jesus' words, then in the parentheses that you'll have in your Scripture, it says, let the reader understand the Holy Spirit-inspired writing of Mark. He adds those words in, let the reader understand. That gives us some clues as to when we are talking about this. Then those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains. Jesus has told them that because of me, you will be betrayed by your family and friends. He has told to all believers, He has told the disciples that they will be before kings, and leaders, as witnesses. He has told them that they will be beaten and eventually killed 
because of Jesus' name. And he says in verse 13, as we just read, that, that the, but the one who endures the end, he will be saved. What more could there possibly be to say about this? He could have ended right there, but he didn't. He went on. He's giving details of something important here. This abomination of desolation. This abomination in a place where it shouldn't be. This abomination meaning it is the exact opposite of what should be in that place. He's building on verse 10. Remember in verse 10 where it divided two paragraphs there before us where it says, the gospel must first be preached to all the nations. I'm going to propose to you that this abomination of desolation occurs after that period of time. After the gospel has been preached to all the nations. Let the reader understand. Now turn with me if you will to, well, you don't need to turn there, I'll, I'll just read it to you. Matthew chapter 24, verse 15, we get a key part of the information that we need for this passage. In verse 15, one of the synoptic gospels, therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, which was spoken of through Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand, then verse 16, then those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains. This abomination first spoken of, or the abomination that Jesus is speaking of, is found in Daniel. Specifically, beginning in Daniel chapter 9, and so we'll turn there, and we'll actually speak a little bit about Daniel chapter 8. Now, as some of you that are students of Scripture would know, that we can spend the next couple weeks in Daniel and still not merely just scratch the surface of the prophet Daniel. Well, we don't have time to do that. Remember, this is a triage gospel. It's important that they hear this. important they understand this. And interestingly enough, it's sent to a bunch of believers in Rome that are not of Jewish origin. We might want to keep that in mind too. Daniel has had a vision in starting back in Daniel chapter 7. He's had a vision that's run upwards and through 9 to the beginning of 9. Daniel will tell us that he has examined the prophecy of Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 25, verse 11. You don't need to turn there, I'll read it to you. Jeremiah 25, verse 11, where he read this. Now remember, this is the Babylonian captivity. Daniel is a slave, uh, to the, to the, and he is in the king's court where he's at. He has studied the scripture, and he's found from the prophet Jeremiah 25, 11, these words. It says, this whole land will be a desolation and horror, and these nations will serve the king of Babylon 70 years. Daniel's done some quick math. He's figured out this is the time period that we're in right now. We've got 14 to 24 months left, and then the captivity will be over. Happy times might come again. But he's had this vision. And the vision is a problem. The problem is, is that the vision, and this is in big, broad terms of speaking, that there's four nations that will rise. And Daniel doesn't understand how this can happen in such a short period of time if this captivity is to end. He has received a prophecy from God, and he doesn't understand it. Direct revelation from God that nobody receives nowadays, he's received it, and he doesn't understand it. How do we know he doesn't understand it? Because he tells us he doesn't understand it. Look at verse uh, chapter 8, verse 27. It says, Then I, Daniel, was exhausted and sick for days. 
Then I got up again and carried on the king's business, but I was astounded at the vision, and there was none to explain it. Daniel received this vision of these four nations, and there's much, much detail in there. Again, we could speak for weeks about what it is. But he can't rectify it with the prophecy of Jeremiah saying that this captivity is going to end in 14 to 24 months. He can't put it together. He doesn't understand what's happening. He can't end what's happening to Daniel because of it. He's exhausted and sick. He is beside himself. He is trying to wrap his head around this prophecy, what this vision he's received from God. And if this is where we get the various horns, a little horn, all sorts of things that are in there, that are there, all sorts of things that can lead people down rabbit trails if they don't have the cross and Christ in their focus, down rabbit trails that will lead them away from, from the knowledge of Jesus and what He has done, and that He is the Savior, things that will lead them down pathways and byways that probably they were never meant to go on. I think John Calvin was the one that said that there's a special place in hell for the over-curious. And people have spent lifetimes trying to understand this prophecy that Daniel the prophet himself was sick and exhausted over. So what does he do? What do you do when you're in that situation? What do you do when you're overwhelmed and overcome and overfraught by the things that you, you have about you? Well, Daniel turns to the Lord. He petitions God. He entreats upon God. This situation, I can't rectify it in my mind. I can't understand what is happening here in my mind. I need to turn to the Lord, the one who gave this to me to begin with, to the point that I don't even know why He gave it to me if I can't understand it. If I can't rectify it for the things that I know are true. Now remember what we said about Joshua last week, where he said that all the things that the Lord has promised and said that He would do and all His words have come true and will come true. So will this prophecy. And it says in chapter 9, verse 3, so I gave my attention. Well, let's read, I'll read one, through two, 1 and 2. It says, In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahiasaurus, the Median of, of Midian descent, who was made king over the kingdom of Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, observed in the books of the number of years, which was, which was revealed as the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet, for the completion of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. So I gave my attention to the Lord God to seek Him by prayer and supplication with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. I have been convicted this week in some of the readings that I've done, specifically by Thomas Brooks, that my prayers don't look like Daniel's prayers. That many times my prayers are sleepy prayers that I do before I go to bed. Fall asleep halfway through, not that they're bad. But I rarely have entreated upon the Lord like He has with prayer and supplications, with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. I have rarely gone before the Lord in, in fervent prayer, of sweating prayer, of exhausting prayer. And I would suggest that we might all be better off to do prayer in that manner, to exhaust ourselves in prayer to God with everything that we have to take it before the Lord. That's what Daniel did. And I'm not going to read the rest of this through verse 19, but it is fascinating to read how he is, not only is he confessing his own sins, but he's confessing the sins of Israel. Calling out to the Lord. Praying to the Lord. I need to understand. I'm sick and I'm beside myself for what is being said here. I don't understand. Why did you give it to me if I don't understand it? And then we get these fascinating words. Turn to verse 20. 
Now while I was speaking and praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people, Israel, and presenting my supplication, right? So I'm bowing down before the Lord. I'm hiding my eyes. And that is a good, this is a good thing to do too. Think about it. Even those creatures which God has created, the angels and whatnot, they cover not only their faces and their feet before a righteous and a holy God. They cannot look upon Him. Covering, their, covering His head, supplicating Himself, bowing down, praying to God, covering His face before God, confessing the sin, presenting my supplication before the Lord my God in behalf of the holy mountain of my God while I was still speaking in prayer. While he was still in prayer, then the man Gabriel, who Gabriel the angel, whom I had seen in the vision previously, came to me in my, what? Extreme weariness about the time of the evening offering. Have you exhausted yourself in prayer? He was exhausted. His only recourse to pray to God. And Gabriel came. And I love these words. These next two verses are just awesome. When you think about, and just getting chills just thinking about He gave me instruction and talked with me and said, Oh Daniel, I have now come forth to give you insight with instruction. At the beginning of your supplications, the command was issued. The most righteous and holy God gave the command to Gabriel to go to him, to go to Daniel. And I have come to tell you, for you are highly esteemed, So give heed to the message and gain understanding of the vision. The moment that Daniel started to entreat upon the most righteous and holy God, God sent Gabriel to him. From the distance of heaven to earth, God sent Gabriel to Daniel. This vision that he had wasn't of understanding that he could gain through his own thoughts. He needed help. And God sent it. Caution. We are not Daniel. None of us are prophets. We don't don't expect to see Gabriel standing in your bedroom during your sleepy prayer time. Okay? It's not going to happen. It's a specific person, a specific place, at a specific time Daniel was. And what does he say? I have come to give you understanding, Daniel. Your words have been heard by the most righteous and holy God, and He sent me to give you that understanding. To give you the knowledge that you need. Now, key here is, not all the knowledge that you want, but to give you the knowledge that you need. I'm going to lean on it. It wasn't in my, wasn't in my message, but Calvin's right. A place in hell is there for the overly curious. We love to try to get beyond what we are told that we should understand. So what does he say? Verse 24. As I told you, we're going to be in Daniel for a bit. It's important. We have the abomination of desolation standing where it should not be. Let the reader understand. So this is beyond the disciples. This is definitely to the church in Rome, and it definitely falls on us too, readers, today. He's been perplexed. Gabriel sent. Gabriel is is giving him understanding. Verse 24. The 77s. 77s. Seventy weeks have been decreed for your people in your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sin, to make atonement for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. Gabriel has given the end at the very beginning of the understanding. He has said what will happen at the end of this 70 weeks at the beginning of what he is telling him. 
He has said these six things will occur at the end of the 70 weeks. To finish the transgression, to make an end to sin, to make atonement for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. Now herein lies the problem. I know what I think about 70 weeks. That would give me just a bit over a year or about the length of time we've been in Mark right now. But see, that's where we fall apart. See, we try to impose things that we know and that we experience now into a prophecy and understanding that is given here. The use of these Hebrew terms here, two very similar words in 70 weeks that are given there, the 77s, right? The way that is spoken of here is it's 70 weeks of years. This is one of the key prophecies about Jesus himself, and we're going to find it in the next couple of verses. It's not 70 weeks of days, but 70 weeks of years. So in other words, every day of the week equals a year, so 70 weeks of that, or 490 years. For this prophecy. So at the end of 490 years, these six things will occur. Finish transgression, end of sin, make atonement for iniquity, bring in everlasting righteousness to seal up the vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy place. I hope you're all with me so far. Verse 25. Now, we're going to have some details about the prophecy. So that you are to know and discern, okay, so that you are to know and to understand Daniel so that you are to know and discern that from the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. A total of 69 weeks of years, which gives us 483 years. Now remember when I said this is some key prophecy with regard to Jesus, the Messiah. It will be built again with plaza and moat even in times of distress. Okay. Now I'll just do a little, we're going to do a little math here. It's not a math class, but we're going to do just a tiny bit of math. We're going to speak in round numbers. 480 years, 483 years, till the time of Messiah, the, the, the Jerusalem will be rebuilt, rebuilt. Jerusalem is destroyed right now. It will be rebuilt. The temple will be rebuilt. It's going to continue to be rebuilt even in times of distress is what you're going to see. 483 years is going to occur. That 483 years... If we go back to Ezra, Nehemiah, where Artaxerxes gave the order that they were allowed to rebuild Jerusalem, if we run that 480 years, we come right into Jesus right around 30 A.D. It says you have that decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince. There will be seventy, excuse me, seven weeks and sixty-two weeks, sixty-nine weeks, four hundred eighty-three years, till the time of the Messiah. It will be built again with plaza and moat, even in times of distress. I hope I'm not going too fast or too slow. It says in verse twenty-six, he just refers to it as the 62 weeks, but it is the combination, typical of this type of writing, is the combination of the 62 plus the 7. Then after this, the we would say the 69 weeks, the Messiah will be cut off and have nothing. 
After that period of time, the Messiah, what we see is the crucifixion. And then the people of the prince who is to come will destroy the city and the sanctuary and its end will come with a flood. Even to the end, there will be war, desolations are determined. So at the end of the 69 weeks, the end of this 483 years, we have Jesus, the Messiah, who is cut off from His people. We see the crucifixion that happens there. In this period of time, we also see, after that occurs, it says, and the people of the Prince who is to come, so the Prince who is to come would be what we would refer to as the Antichrist. The Prince of the people, excuse me, the people of the Prince who is to come will destroy the city. This is the prophecy of 70 A.D. When Jerusalem is destroyed, when the temple is destroyed. When the gold on the outside of the temple, because of the fire, is melted and goes down between the stones of the temple and the temple is upturned for people to get the stone. Not one stone upon another is given. This prophecy that is given in Daniel is amazingly accurate if we take the time to understand what is being said. It is amazingly accurate of how it predicts when Jesus will come and what will happen soon after He has been crucified. And its end will come with a flood. Even to the end, there will be war. So after this period of time, there will be war. And didn't Jesus say that wars and rumors of wars are merely the birth pangs that are coming to the end, pointing to the end? And Daniel's saying similar things here, almost 500 years distant in the, in the past. Even in the end, there will be war. Desolations are determined. Barrenness and emptiness are determined. What we need to understand of these prophecies, what these prophets receive them, is they are what they would describe it as, as streams of information that are given. Streams of visions that are given to them. Hence Daniel's need for understanding about what he saw because his time frames, he was not thinking in God time frames. That the end of Jeremiah of the Babylonian exile had nothing to do with what he was envisioning. He was mixing two of them together and not seeing that they were two separate things. Hence, when he supplicated himself before the Lord, when he sweated out his prayer before the Lord, when he went to work in prayer, have you ever done that? When he went to work in prayer and Gabriel was sent when he started, this is the answer that he's given. Verse 27 now, we have dealt with 69 weeks, but it said it was 70 weeks of years. We want to look into the Old Testament. The Old Testament is what shadows is what is to come in the future. Shadows of Jesus. Shadows of the cross. Shadows of the ascension. Shadows of the redemption is what we see in the Old Testament. Verse 27, And He will make a firm covenant with the many for one week. The one who is the one who makes the firm covenant is the prince who was mentioned in the previous one who will come and destroy the city and the sanctuary. Okay? The, the prince of the people who is, is to come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. So this prince is the one that is coming in the future. He is the one who will make a firm covenant with the many for one week. Now we have a separation of time, the way it is written, the way it is given. We have a separation of time from the 69 weeks and the 70th week. They are not combined one right after the other. This 70th week, this last week, occurs sometime in the future. That's what Jesus is pointing to. Sometime after the cutoff of the Messiah, in what will be His ascension, that sometime in the future this one week will occur. That this Prince, that this Antichrist is going to set up a covenant... 
in the middle of that seven-year period, that three-and-a-half-year period of time, we see this spoken of in detail in Revelation 6 through 19, which we are not going to read today. He's going to set up a covenant with these people for three and a half years of this last seven-year period of time. And what does it say there? Here we're getting to the key part of the Daniel the prophet spoke of that Jesus said. And he will make a firm covenant with the many for one week. This last week. This last period of seven years. But in the middle of the week, he will put a stop to the sacrifice and grain offering. In other words, at some point in the future, the temple will be restored. That sacrifices will be made for a period of three and a half years that this person, who we refer to as the Antichrist, will set up this situation, this covenant, Antichrist meaning anti-Jesus. Okay, now we're going to be working on that abomination of desolation. Everything that is not of Jesus is an abomination to Jesus. Setting up in the holy place, it says there, he's then going to put a stop in the middle of this after three and a half years, put a stop to the sacrifice of the grain offerings, and on the wing of abominations will come one who makes desolate, even until complete destruction. One that is decreed is poured out on the one who makes desolate. This is what Jesus is talking about. Jesus is speaking firmly in the future time to them. Well beyond what the disciples will experience. Well beyond what they will see in their period of time. He's speaking to that time when the witnesses come that are prophesied in Revelation 11. We would say, as the rapture will occur, that this period of time that he's talking about is after the church is raptured. This is when the remnant are called. This is a setup of the new temple in Jerusalem. This is as Paul speaks in 2 Thessalonians 2. Notice how he says in verses 1-5, through 5, it says, For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not... Oops, that's 1 Thessalonians. Sorry about that. I did that for you, Jeff. You're welcome. 2 Thessalonians Chapter 2, verse 1, it says, Now, we request you, brethren, with regard to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together with Him, that you not be quickly shaken from your composure or be disturbed either by a spirit or a message or a letter as if from us, to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. In other words, whatever you're going through now, this is not the day of the Lord, especially not the day of the Lord that Jesus is speaking about now. Let no one in any other way deceive you, for it will not come unless the apostasy comes first. And the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction. Again, we're looking back towards Daniel. Who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship. So at the end of that three and a half years that Daniel talks about, this Antichrist is going to set himself up as the object of worship in the temple. All the other worship that is done is gone, and now this abomination, this thing that is Antichrist, is setting itself up as that to be worshipped in the holy place. Paul talks about it too, clearly right here. Who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God, do you not remember that while I was with you, I was telling you these things? Again, it points to the future time when this is going to happen. This abomination of desolation that will occur in the temple. This thing that will happen, and as we're going to find out quickly here, only one time. Now, it's key to understand that there was something that occurred. You read in Daniel chapter 11, that would be uh, an abomination that occurred at the temple, which was not this, which was not what Daniel was predicting. You'll read about Antiochus Epiphanes IV, 
He is a uh, Seleucian king who comes in, persecutes the Jews, and destroys Jerusalem, uh, sacrifices pigs on the altar, makes the priests eat them, and then sets up a uh, sets up a image of Zeus in the temple. Not the abomination that Jesus is talking about. Doesn't fit with the prophecy. But it is an abomination that occurred. They would be familiar with what abominations look like when the temple is profaned. Now look at verse 15 as we quickly move forward. He says, so he has told that this thing is coming in the future. At some point in the future, you are going to know this. This is what it looks like, this abomination of desolation. It looks like what Daniel told you about, what he prophesied about. You're going to be able to recognize it because there's going to be a covenant. The covenant's going to be broken. This, this person is going to set themselves up in the most holy place, and it's going to be an abomination, and it's going to make that place desolate and unholy and whatnot. In verse 15, it says, the one who is on the housetop when this happens must not go down or go in to get anything out of his house. And the one who is in the field must not turn back to get his coat. In other words, that when this thing happens, when this goes on, when this covenant is broken, at this period of time, the destruction is going to be utter. It tells us in Revelation that this person, when they come in, will it will be wars after wars in the destruction of the saints and any that choose to believe in Jesus Will be, just, will be killed at that point in time as the calling of the remnant comes about. I'm going in broad terms here, okay? That you don't have time when this occurs, that this is going to be so horrible that you must flee. You can't walk down the outside stairs and into your house to get your cloak. You must either run down the stairs or rooftop to rooftop to the gate of the city and get out and go. You must flee. And if you're in the field, you don't have time to go back to the gate of the field to grab your cloak that you left there when you started work, or to the side of the field, you must go now. There is no time to flee this abomination that has come. The destruction will be so great and so horrible, Jesus will tell us that there will be nothing like it up until that time, and there will be nothing like it afterwards. This is going to be the worst of the worst. 17, but woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days. Why? Because it's hard to flee with a small child with you or when you're pregnant. You can't run if you're pregnant or can't run far. You can't run if you have a, a little child with you trying to hold their hand. 18, pray that it may not happen in winter. Why? Because to escape from that place would be difficult because the rivers, the wadis, would be overflowing with water. To get away and as far away from this abomination of desolation would be impossible. And then in 19, he says this, For those days will be a time of tribulation, so the great tribulation that we speak of in Revelation, such as has not occurred since the beginning of creation, which God has created until now and never will. So this last week is the last week. That last week, the last week of seven years is the last week. To see how it ends, we start reading in Revelation 19. We see Jesus coming back. So this is a quick overview. I don't nearly have enough time to do it, but that's okay. I'm doing all right. Get you guys out of here on time today. And we have no communion today, so we have, you know, won't be that long. For that tribulation, this is not 70 AD when that happens. Oh, that's going to look horrible, right? 70 AD, a million Jews killed. But if we look back over time, far more were killed during the Holocaust. And that wasn't the abomination of desolation either. It's looking forward into the future when this occurs. It will, what Jesus is saying, this thing will come to pass. The last sheep will be called into the fold. And we hear about that, about that provision in the last three verses here that God gives us. Unless the Lord, in, in, uh, unless the Lord had shortened those days, no life would have been saved. But for the sake of the elect whom he chose, he shortened those days. In other words, this is a set period of time. He has limited the period of time. 
God is in control of everything. His sovereignty is at play here. He has decreed this period of time and this period of time only for this to occur. In verse 21 he says, And then, if anyone says to you, Behold, here is the Christ. Behold, here He is. Behold, He is there. Do not believe Him. In other words, what is going to happen, verse 22, for false Christs and false prophets will arise and will show signs and wonders in order to lead astray, if possible, the elect. Now be careful with reading this. There will be false Christs and those that are anti-Christ, anti-Jesus, that will be coming up and popping up around during this time to the end that will try to lead the believers away. They will try to pull them away from the fold. They will try to enter the fold through over the gate. And they will kill and steal and try to kill and steal the sheep from Jesus' fold. And they will do many wonderful things. Revelation tells us that they will do many signs and wonders to try to lead the elect away. Now notice what it says there. It says, if possible, the elect, but it's not possible. God is a full and complete Savior. Jesus is a full and complete Savior. He completely saves. He completely preserves those who believe in Him to the end. Remember, if you could lose your salvation, you would. Luckily, it's not up to me. It's up to Jesus. And Jesus says He will save all those whom the Father gives Him. But what He is saying here is He says, look, what they're going to do is going to look really convincing. So you better know this to be able to identify this. He has told them, this is why, that he doesn't stop in verse 13 when he says you endure to the end. He says, I want you to know about this abomination that's coming. I want you to know about these false Christs that are coming. I want you to be able to identify when it happens. I want you to be able to see the markers that are there, these things. And you're going to be able to look and say, oh, there are Jesus' words. He said exactly this would happen. Remember what Daniel said? Let's flip back to there and see. Oh, I see what it is. This is it. The temple's rebuilt. Sacrifices are up. Three and a half years are going to go by, and then it's going to be that covenant's going to be broken. You should be able to see this because I'm giving it to you. What does he say in verse 23? But take heed, behold, I have told you everything in advance. God's provision is with us. He's telling us. He doesn't even give us any surprises. There is no surprise ending. He tells us exactly what's going to happen. We shouldn't be surprised when we go out there and we see family and friends turning against us because we love Jesus. We should not be surprised the fact that people lose their jobs because they love Jesus. We should not be surprised the fact that people... Isn't it horrible that that person was killed because they love Jesus? Well, yeah, kind of, but they're with the Lord now. He told us it was going to happen. You can't, you cannot look at this book and say, well, Jesus didn't tell me that. He's telling it clearly to us in words that we can understand. The provision in the translation that we can understand. We don't need to go seeking the depths, the, the, the equivalent of the depths of the ocean to try to understand the exact day and time when Jesus is going to come back. Foolishness. He's going to come back. He tells me that. I better be prepared. I better be like the virgins with the lamp. My, my lamps better have, have oil in them burning for when the, when the bridegroom comes back. What does it say? You fool, your life will be required of you tonight. Why are you wasting your time in these other things? Why are, you, why are you searching out the Scriptures for something that isn't there when I've already told you what you need to know? You need to know me. You need to know me as Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior. That's what you need to know. You don't need to know the minute, the day, or the hour. I told you I'm coming back. I'm coming back. Joshua says that every single thing I, I proclaim is going to happen. But we see these people that foolishly waste their time, like the foolish virgin. Their lamp has gone out. They have not put their oil in their, their way. And they're wasting their time. They're looking. What is the hour? What is the day? Hey, let's go to a conference on end times. What a foolish waste of time when you could know your Savior so much better and be more confident in what is going on in this crazy world we live in. Foolishness when you look at it. It's just, it, it, it's just madness. Absolute madness. Oh, he's talking about Revelation. Talking about helicopters. Talking about what? Who cares? He told you he's coming back. You better be ready. Because here it is. You are either in heaven or you're in hell. You're either in Jesus or you're not. You're either with Jesus or you're with the abomination of desolation. And that's going to be cast in the sea of fire for forever. And so will you if you land up there. 
You need to know your Lord and Savior is what needs to happen here. This is what all this should be pointing to. Not so that I could get deeper and deeper into what's going to happen at the end, because he told me, listen, he told me what I need to know. He didn't say, don't, you don't need to look deeper than this. The angel Gabriel came and said, this is what it means. This is what you look for. You don't need to look any further. You got enough. And then when Jesus says, look at what the prophet Daniel said, you got enough for what you need to know when this is going to happen. It is not important because if you know the time and the date, you're going to worship that time and date. You're going to worship that clock, waiting, ticking it down. And I see people do it all the time. Today's the day. Tomorrow's the day. And that's not the point. He's telling the church in Rome, yeah, horrible things are going to happen. You're going to be persecuted. You're going to be killed. It's going to all going to happen. Yep. And that's not the end. It's not yet. It's going to get worse. It's just the way it is. <laughs> Jesus is a complete Savior. And right now, everyone that is alive right now is living in the grace of, of, of God. Believers and unbelievers are living in God's grace right now. God has preserved their life for this period of time. He is still calling them from the calling them into the fold to those who will believe. The sheep will know his voice. The sheep will know the son. And through the son they will find freedom. They will know what it's like to be saved. First Thessalonians 1 5, we talked about today in Sunday school class, giving them the gospel. That's what we should be doing. We who know Jesus our Lord and Savior, give them the gospel, give them the good news so that they might be saved. So that God's work might be made of work in them. You know, God decrees the ends and the means. We as believers are part of the means to bring people into the fold. He uses us to bring people into the fold. That's where we stand it. So when we read this thing about the abomination of desolation, he's giving me everything I need to know. It's coming. You better be prepared. And guess what? Your family members who you, who you care about, they better be prepared too. You better tell them. I don't want to be like that watchman that's out there who sees the danger coming and doesn't warn because then the blood of those who weren't warned is upon me. So as we come here to the end, so that John doesn't give me the hook, pull me off the stage, or pull me from the pulpit, I'll end on this. Always remember, steal it from one of my uh, professors, we are, and everyone we meet, is a never-dying soul going to a never-ending eternity. Everyone, a never-dying soul going to a never-ending eternity. That should change the way we look there at things. There is only heaven and hell. There is no waiting room. There is no purgatory. There is no way to work your way into heaven. The only entrance is that blood-soaked ticket from Christ. We should read these verses with God's providence in mind, that we have been told what to happen, that He has provided His provision, and we, He has provided with the hope that is sure and true that the coming wrath of God's judgment is at hand. That we should tell people at every opportunity we can that they might know the truth of the true Savior, that they might turn from idols and serve the living God, that we should be imitators of the apostles, of Jesus, preaching the good news even in the face of opposition and hatred, telling people about their status before a righteous and a holy God without Christ, telling them where they stand without Christ, showing them who the Savior is and what He has done, standing in that breach, pleading with them to repent and believe in the only true and complete Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's all pray. Glorious and Heavenly Father, thank You for this day. Thank You for Your Word. Thank You even for the words that are difficult that we might learn from them. Please give us confidence and courage to preach the gospel. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.